This is a historic Dolphins in Depth podcast because we have, well, the birth of a new star of the show. We have Barry Jackson. We have a new star of the show. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Barry Jackson, all a flutter. It's great to have Barry Jackson a flutter. So I wish to introduce to you new star of the show, Daniel Oyefusi. And Daniel, is it indeed Oyefusi? It is. It is. Most people butcher the pronunciation of my last name, but you got it on the first time. So kudos to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about that? So I am your caddy of the show, Armando Salguero. Barry was the interim star of the show. We're going to, you know, attend to that before this thing is over. I want to welcome you, Daniel, and I also have a small announcement. This is my last show. So there's that. <laughs> so um, I want to wish you guys the best of luck in my absence. I'm sure things will get much better when I'm not around. What do you think about that? Well, I'm just waiting to see if you and I, Armando, will be alive when the Dolphins are in a Super Bowl again. My guess is probably not, but I'm still holding out hope. I'm still holding out this pearl of hope that we are both going to see the Dolphins in a Super Bowl while still on this earth. Yeah, um, I, I know this. My first assignment for Outkick.com will be to cover the defending Super Bowl champions in their season opener in 2021, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Dallas Cowboys. And my last assignment of the uh, season for Outkick.com will be whoever's in the Super Bowl. So if it's the Dolphins, so be it. It won't be the Dolphins. And if somebody else, then somebody else. Daniel, do you think let me let me get an outsider's point of view because within a week you'll be an insider, trust me. But from an outsider's point of view just joining, what is the thinking of the Miami Dolphins organization and the Miami Dolphins from the point of view of you've been covering the Baltimore Ravens, other teams in the NFL? What do what do other organizations, what do you think of the Miami Dolphins coming from afar? Well, I'll say that the last time that I significantly paid attention to the Miami Dolphins was week one of the 2019 season. And if you remember that, which I'm sure you guys do, that was, the, I believe, the first game of the Brian Flores era, and it did not go off to a rousing start. They were blown out at Hard Rock Stadium by the Ravens, like 56 to not a lot of points. It was just terrible. Um, and obviously that was a team that was really in a rebuild. Um, so, you know, um, kind of fast forward to 2020 and now, you know, this is a team that goes from five to ten wins and has two, uh, you know, shaky in his in his uh, few starts over the second half of the season. Um, but, you know, it's a team that has really turned things around quickly. Um, and right now I feel like, uh, they're kind of in a place of limbo in terms of, you know, how an outsider, me transitioning from outsider to an insider, view the team. Um, obviously, a lot of it is on Tua and how he how he kind of progresses in year two. Um, but it is it was kind of a seismic seismic rise in a sense. You know, like I said, 2019 they were terrible. In 2020, they kind of came out of nowhere. Um, so, like I said, as an outsider coming into an insider, I'm very interested to see how they uh, kind of progress in this rebuild. I don't even know if you can call it that at this point. 
Well, so last week they spent the entire week uh, practicing dual practice with the Chicago Bears. This week they will spend the entire week dual practice with the Atlanta Falcons and then play the Falcons on Saturday. It is Saturday, isn't it? It's Saturday, right? It is, yes. Yeah, all right. I, I, I'm asking because I won't be there and, um, you know, I won't be there. So so there's that. So my question is very simple to you gentlemen. Number one, uh, who's going to call the plays for the offense? <laughs> I think his initials are GG, but we can't tell anyone, right? I mean, it very much appears as though George Godsey is calling the plays. However, Brian Flores has made very clear to us that he does not want it known publicly and as Eric Studesville, the co-offensive coordinator, explained last week, the Dolphins believe that any information, any information of any kind, can be used against them in a competitive way. So that is what leads to the mindset of not sharing this information. What Flores did clarify for us today is that Charlie Fry is going to be the only voice into his ear. That's the quarterback coach. They feel that's the simplest way of conveying whatever the play call is to Tua, even though Fry is not making the call himself. So this has been something of a story this week at Dolphins Camp, just because a lot of us are puzzled that uh, Brian Flores does not want to reveal this. But it does speak to their philosophy, guys, of just not being open about information. It's because Flores grew up in a secretive regime in New England, and this is what he's taken from them. By the way, before you go any further, Armando, I don't want all of the Dolphins fans to think that I'm raining on their parade by saying that I'm skeptical about whether the Dolphins will be in a Super Bowl when you or I are alive. My point is that I think both of us, and you're obviously leaving the day-to-day coverage of the team, but both of us have had hopes dashed, right, for well over a quarter century. I think we're sort of ingrained to just expect that things will not work out. I do think the organization's headed in the right direction. I think this is a fringe playoff team, somewhere in the range of 6 to 10 in the AFC. Uh, my pessimism in expecting a Super Bowl, at least in our immediate future, Armando, is just based on history of something always going wrong, seemingly, over the last 30 years. And also, uh, just having to deal with Patrick Mahomes over the next 10 years, and Josh Allen to a lesser extent. So it's just difficult to envision that type of success in the immediate future. But I want to clarify that because I don't want Dolphins fans to think with a big headline, Barry Jackson predicts no Super Bowl this century. I'm not going to go that far. I think Dolphin fans will put their publication to bed tonight, and the headline will be, Barry Jackson hates the Miami Dolphins. And why am I talking about myself in the third person, which I've never done before? This is amazing. This is like uh, all of a sudden you guys are going to take over the show and, you know, that you're going to fight for the star of the show, you know, crown. Uh, me, I'm just going to sink into this background and, and watch you guys go at it. Um, he, here's the thing about we mentioned the whole offensive play caller that I think Brian Flores has a small uh, blind spot about. He learned in New England the quote-unquote Patriots way, and that is to hold everything inside the team, to keep as much inside the team as possible, and that gains you a huge advantage, or even if it gains you a small advantage, 
you have an advantage. And so he thinks maybe that not telling an opponent that Godsey or or Eric Studesville will be calling the play, that somehow is going to make a difference come September when the regular season starts, come December when the regular season ends. The thing that every single person who has ever worked for the New England Patriots misses is that they didn't win because of the little secrets. They won because of a guy named Tom Brady. And if he had Tom Brady here, he would win secrets or not. And because he doesn't have Tom Brady here, it's, it's, it's up in the air, secrets or not. And Bill Belichick won secrets or not because of Tom Brady. And without Tom Brady, He's been an average coach and gotten fired once and went seven and nine last year without Tom Brady, while Tom Brady was winning a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, I think this is also the thinking, and I want Daniel's view on this also, but I think this comes from a place where Brian Flores is of the belief, and I imagine he learned this being around Belichick, that any time wasted by an opponent trying to anticipate something like a player returning from injury who's already had surgery and is not going to return, that any time wasted by an opposing coaching staff benefits the Dolphins. That's why they kept calling Preston Williams day-to-day last November and December, even though he had already had foot surgery, which was going to sideline him many months. So that's the thinking behind them doing it. Does that give them any competitive advantage I suppose you could make the case maybe a slight one in some cases. For example, the Bills last year had to spend a little time preparing for Preston Williams before the finale. Obviously, it didn't hurt them because they they lambasted Miami in Week 17 to keep the Dolphins out of the playoffs. So I'm not sure the secrecy gets us anywhere. But it is an interesting topic in your in your exit, Armando. Uh, it was this position of the team covering this team? I'm curious, and I want Daniel's views also. But Armando was covering this regime, the Flores plus a uh, two year plus regime. Was it frustrating to you in that regard? No, I'm not frustrated at all. I mean, you know, I, were it not for the pandemic, I went to the Super Bowl the two years that Brian Flores was here, uh, or I would have gone. And so I'm going to be at the Super Bowl whether Brian Flores is there or not. And I hope that he gets there someday. But I really have serious doubts because I've seen this happen already, guys. When the Patriots started winning, Dave Wanstead was the coach of the Miami Dolphins, and he saw that the Patriots were winning, and he saw how they were going about their business, and he tried to copy it as far as not telling us stuff and not sharing injuries and being cryptic and this and that. And guess what? It didn't work. And I'm going to go back to the same thing I said before. Why didn't it work? Because one team had Tom Brady, and the Dolphins had Jay Fiedler, and the two are not equal. Daniel, do you think that the Baltimore Ravens, who you've covered in a very excellent fashion, uh, are really worried about somebody knowing who's calling the plays one way or the other? Um, That's a good question. I mean, it really depends on the way you view it. I think that 
uh, across, you know, the other 31 teams in the league. I'm pretty sure it's well known who the offensive play caller is, um, which which is obviously what makes this situation in Miami so unique. Um, if Brian Flores feels that his team gains a, a little bit of an edge uh, with that information being in the dark, I mean, more power to him. Uh, but, you know, kind of going back to what you were talking about in terms of, you know, him coming from that Bill Jack tree. Yeah, obviously, you know, Tuesday was my first practice, media availability in person. And, yeah, you, you can definitely quickly tell that he comes from, from that, from these branch from that tree. Um, and, and, again, like you said, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, being so secretive and whatnot is what's going to really make or break uh, his, his tenure with the Dolphins. So when you look back, you know, 10 years from now, it's going to be whether he was able to surround himself with the right coaching staff and the right players. And like you said, they don't have Tom Brady, but um, they've got a pretty good roster here, and they've got a, a quarterback that they think can uh, can be a really good one. So um, that's what it will come down to. You know, when, it, when we start looking at, you know, not sharing certain information and calling guys day to day, you know, I don't I don't think that there's much um, help or, or, or hurt in that type of stuff. So here's the question, and I think we're going to get to the crux of the matter pretty quickly here. Um, is Tua Tungavailoa going to be elite or not? We've seen him now uh, three weeks, Tua 2.0. Maybe I should just back up. It's Tua point oh. Get it? Tua point oh. Uh, okay. Anyway, Tua 2.0, and you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> anyway, uh <laughs> So uh, we've seen him in the offseason. We've seen him the first three weeks of training camp. We've seen him in a preseason game. Raise your hand if you believe Tua Tungavailoa is going to be elite in 2021. Well, I wouldn't go as far as elite, Armando, but I would say that I believe he has the ability to be a clearly above-average NFL quarterback because of the accuracy that we've seen more in preseason than certainly we did late last season. We saw the accuracy at Alabama. We saw the accuracy in spurts last year against the Chargers, against the Arizona Cardinals, uh, second half against New England. So because of that factor, I think there is the potential for him to be in the 10 to 15 range of NFL quarterbacks. Do I think you could win big with him? I do if your defense was as dominant and created as many turnovers as it did last year. Heck, even with Tua being mediocre last year, they still went 6-3 and three in his starts. Uh, however, I think he's going to need a stronger running game than what he has now to have deep playoff success. And I think this offensive line is either going to have to be appreciably better with this young core or you're going to have to acquire a special player on your offensive line, which I'm not sure they have one now. So I think you can win big with Tua if all the pieces around him are really, really good. So if I had to look into my crystal ball, and of course, this is guesswork for all three of us and everyone on earth. No one knows how good Tua is going to be. But I would lean toward, yes, above average, elite, elite, like Mahomes. Uh, I think that would be a stretch, but... I do think you can win with him. Uh, Daniel, from watching him on TV at Alabama a lot and just being at practice, you know, at least, uh, you know, today and what you saw last year in their national TV games, your impressions of him were what? Um, my impressions were that he was a guy who wasn't um, necessarily ready for the moment, whether that's because of injuries or him just being a rookie and um, not having that experience. Um 
And I think that like a lot of first year kind of second year guys coming into the second year of the league, I think he's going to be really helped by kind of a normal offseason. And, and one thing I'll say and kind of looking into it is, and I'll kind of use a, a bit of an example of my experience covering the Ravens the last two seasons. Um, I'm not saying he's Lamar Jackson by any stretch of the imagination because they're two completely different players. But when you look at that 2019 season, they were very – I mean, I don't think anybody expected Lamar to do what he did and to and for the Ravens to do what they did. Um, and, again, I'm not saying that two is going to have an MVP season or anything close to that. Um, but when you look at um, – there's some similarities when you look at a, a young quarterback taking over in the middle of his rookie season, having some ups and downs, and you know, but still having some success – and coming into a second year where uh, where there were there were con- there were considerable uh, there was a considerable effort to to put pieces around him and get the most out of him. When you look at the Ravens, um, they that 2019 offseason they drafted Marquise Brown, they signed Mark Ingram, um, you know they they drafted Miles um, Boykin as well, and and were able to kind of put a system around him that catered to his to his skill set. I think we see some similar things. Um, whether that's signing Will Fuller, whether that's signing Jalen Waddle, getting guys who can who uh, who, who are electric, who can stretch the defense, um, who can kind of allow to uh, to to really test the defenses deep way more than he did last year, and also get the ball quickly and let them do things uh, with their speed and their agility. Um, so again, I'm not saying that too is going to be an MVP. I'm not saying he's going to be a top ten quarterback. Um, but I mean, I think that any reasonable person can can expect uh, a lot of improvement from him and I think even in that preseason game yeah the interception was bad but I think we saw a lot of good things uh, in terms of his ability to be um, concise uh, to throw really accurate balls to to be aggressive Um, and you know I'm really excited to see what he does going forward you know I know that he's uh, probably the most polarizing person in Miami sports (laughs) right now and for good reason but I think that there's a lot of uh, things to be excited about with him. I, I think most people in Miami want him to succeed very badly, and they need him to succeed very badly because this desert experience has been 20 years, and, you know, people are like, they want some water, and two is the guy, you know, carrying the thermos. But here's the, the issue with Tua. We were told the entire offseason we're going to get Tua better based on his progression, okay, that's on Tua, and based on the people that we put around him. And that's on the personnel department. As I see this team so far constructed, the personnel department put together a wide receiver core that's always injured, cannot be counted upon. I've been saying this for three years now, and it's still playing out today. You mentioned they went out and signed Will Fuller. We've not seen Will Fuller since day one of practice. He he couldn't finish that practice, and he hasn't practiced since. Uh, you know, they, they went out, and Jalen Waddle came back as a draft pick, and I'm expecting that Jalen Waddle is fine, and he is, uh, you know, going to be around. But he has an injury history. He missed most of last season at Alabama. Albert Wilson has come back from – Opting out last year, he has an injury history, and right now he's been out the last two weeks. Alan Hearns goes on injured reserve today. Alan Hearns, a guy who, you know, has an injury history, and guess what? He's injured. Devontae Parker, who has been made of, you know, glass for seven years, 
He started the season on PUP. He practiced for a week, then was on again, off again, and he's off again and not practicing now. So how does Tua get better if the wide receivers that were brought in to be around him to help him get better aren't around all the time and definitely not around enough to, you know, get some chemistry with the guy? Right. And also, how can he get better with a running game? That's largely the same group as last year with the addition of Malcolm Brown, who's something of a journeyman. And remember, this group last year was last in the league in yards after contact per carry. So how is he going to get better with a mediocre running group? How is he going to get better with an offensive line that's dominated by young players who are still developing with no proven Pro Bowl player among them? All these are valid questions. Uh, I do think, and you know, Armando and I, you, you and I have discussed this. I, and I, I don't know that you agree with me. I would have gone the course of Kyle Pitts and Javante Williams in the draft instead of Waddle, who I've been impressed by, uh, and not picking a running back. I just would have liked to have seen this offense with Pitts and Gasecki and a top flight running back and either Najee Harris or ATN or Javante Williams as opposed to what they did. I had no issue with the Fuller signing despite his injury history because they needed a veteran addition at wide receiver. But it'll be interesting to watch these other rookies, the three rookie running backs and Pitts and Waddle, and see if the Dolphins made the right move. And again, I emphasize the point Waddle's been impressive in training camp. It looks like he's going to be a good NFL player, and you can thoroughly justify the Dolphins' trade because they ultimately picked up an additional number one pick in 2023 uh, from the 49ers. Of course, they gave up their own next year, but they have the 49ers next year as well. So I would have liked these offensive changes to have included uh, that uh, instead. I also would have liked for them to have held on to Eric Flowers. Uh, because I think that they're missing a veteran beyond obviously having Jesse Davis, who's reliable. But I think they, I think that the preference would be to have one more veteran on this offensive line. So yes, they have not done everything they could to help Tua. Uh, this offseason was all about that. They did some things. Give them credit for that. Obviously with Waddle and with Fuller, but I think they clearly could have done more, especially at running back and on their offensive line. Yeah. Uh... Daniel, you watched that game on Saturday. What do you think of Malcolm Brown? Well, I'll say this: uh, it's it's tough for any running back to to get loose when the offensive line isn't isn't you know opening lanes for for him. Um, and as much as you know, you talk about the wide receivers being um, injured, which is a great point because you need that continuity. Um, you know, offensive line play is not glamorous, but it can make or break a team. It really can. Um, and you know, if you if you watched that preseason game, you saw some glimpses of good, like the way they were able to protect Tua when he delivered that 50 yard pass to Gasecki. Um, but then you saw some 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 bad, some especially with the situational run block. And you know, you get down inside the the 10 yard line, and you try two times to, to to run it in, and you're just not able to get a push. I mean, that's that's a that's a serious problem. And you know, it's only one game, so you don't want to make too much of it. Um, but this is the this is a young group of you know rookies and second year guys, and. Um, again, you know, Tua, he's going to have to make some improvements in his, his, himself, but um, if he's not able to be protected, if he can't rely on a running game from time to time, it's going to be tough. And um, if, you're, if you're into analytics, I know um, Seth Walter from ESPN posted something today, which are uh, the predicted offensive win rates, um, pass blocking and run blocking. If you look at the the, um, the graph on ESPN on Twitter, um, the Dolphins are ranked, you know, among the bottom in predicted run block win rate and pass block win rate. You know, it's not what you want to see, um, you know, 
for for from a young from a young offensive line. Um, so again, you know, they got Greg Little um, a couple hours ago. They traded for him for a twenty twenty two seventh round pick, I believe. And um, you know, they kind of took a flyer on a guy because um, they're going to need they're going to need some depth, uh, especially at tackle Austin Jackson. Um, he did struggle a bit, uh, struggled a lot really. Um, and you know, behind him, um, there's not too many too many options. So um, again. Offensive line play isn't glamorous by any stretch of the imagination, but it makes or breaks uh, teams in the NFL. When we come back after this break, I, I want to point out, you know, Daniel made a great point about the offensive line. I want to expand on that a little bit, and then we'll move over to defense, and then we'll move over to goodbye. And uh, we'll do that right after this. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So before the break, Daniel Oyafusi, who is the new... Star of the show of Dolphins in Depth. By the way, that's my name. I came up with that. But, of course, you guys can keep it. No problem. I won't take it with me. Um, you made a great point about that offensive line. And it's been like five years that they're trying to build this offensive line. Uh, and... God bless them. They pour a lot of resources into it, a lot of draft picks. You know, Austin Jackson is a first-round pick. Uh, Michael Dieter is a third-round pick. Uh, Liam Eikenberg is a second-round pick. Robert Hunt is a second-round pick. It, they're not being cheap in the manner that they are trying to address this offensive line. But having said that, they got – the the you know they've got the right guard who probably is more suited to be a right tackle they got the left guard who's probably more suited to be a right tackle uh and is learning to be a left guard they've got a center who came into the league as a guard it, it it's like and they've got a left tackle who isn't really the blindside protector because the quarterback is, is you know, left-handed. So it's like they've got these great additions, but where's the plan? Yeah, I don't see the, the plan working smoothly to the point where we've settled. This is a left guard. This is a left tackle. This is a right guard. This, we're going to go with this. They started the year with Eichenberg at right tackle. Now he's at left guard. It's like, not only is he on the other side, he's playing a different position. Uh, and and they leave open the possibility of moving him back. I mean, for reals? <laughs> this is 
this is weird a little bit to me. Am I the only one that sees that? No, I, I agree with you. It's been strange. Eichenberg, I asked him today, was he surprised when the Dolphins decided suddenly on day four of camp to move him to left guard? He said he was, particularly because he has played left guard in his life only once, one practice at Notre Dame, didn't even play left guard in a game. So he said he's excited about it, But so that's odd. Uh, the Dieter moved from guard to center where he hadn't played in a game since 2016 at Wisconsin. I think that appears to be working out well because you're getting a potentially serviceable starting center, although ideally you would like something more than that. And I thought the Rob Hunt move was interesting because he graded out well the last six weeks of the season at right tackle, but the Dolphins believe he has a higher ceiling uh, at right guard. And uh, we're not going to be able to know until the end of this year whether any of these guys can be quality NFL starters. Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, Liam Eikenberg, Rob Hunt. We're just not going to know until these 17 weeks play out. If the Dolphins get at least two quality starters, above average NFL starters among those four, you can say, all right, that's uh, borderline acceptable. If they get three quality starters, you'll be happy. If you get four, you'll be thrilled. If they get only one, you'll say this has been an unmitigated disaster and the Dolphins have spent all of these resources on high-round offensive linemen and they still don't have it solved. And the bottom line is we cannot say, nor can anyone on earth, if these four players are going to turn out to be quality NFL starters. I'm optimistic about Hunt, but with Jackson and Kinley and Eichenberg, it's purely guesswork at this point. Well, that, that's, that's fair. Uh, we also have to add to that, to the, all that newness, they, they have a new offensive line coach, do they not? I mean, Lemuel Jean-Pierre has never been the guy on an offensive line. And so now, look, I'm going to make a prediction. At the end of this year, you guys will be writing the Dolphins need to figure out that offensive line for reals. Because all this mixing and matching and the youth and the guys playing out of position and on the wrong side and this and that, it's not going to work, guys. I'm telling you right now, it's August 17th. Check check me back, you know, in December. And, you know, if, if I'm wrong, I'll eat Daniel's headset. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to be wrong. Use some expensive headsets, so I don't even think I'll let you do that. <laughs> okay, all right. So uh, I guess I won't eat Daniel's headset. Uh, but, you know, and thank you for that. I appreciate it, actually. You got me off the hook. But, uh, you know, I, I just – it's a leap of faith. Some teams go into a season with a plan at different positions. What I see with the Dolphins' offensive line is them going into the season with a hope. And generally – a plan is better than a hope. Right, but it's going to be a hope just because four-fifths of their starting offensive line is going to be young players, right? With Dieter, uh, Austin Jackson, Rob Hunt, and either Eichenberg or Kenley. With Jesse Davis, your only veteran. So uh, there's no certainty with anyone in this group other than the fact you're probably going to get decent play from Jesse Davis, who's reliable. Uh, but this is the predicament they've left themselves in, and they've also left themselves in a predicament where they know at running back they're going to get probably pedestrian work. Maybe there's potential for a little bit more because we saw flashes from Saul on Ahmed last year. Miles Gaskin was pretty good 
But Malcolm Brown being their only prominent addition to this room was just so puzzling to me. And that's no disrespect to Malcolm Brown. Average 4.0 per carry in his career. But I think the Dolphins envisioned him as this great short yardage back. And if you look at his metrics for the Rams, he has not been that. In short yardage, he's picked up a first down barely over half the time. So I just think at the end of the year, we're going to be asking ourselves, and I, I take no pleasure in saying this, I hope I'm not right, but I think we're going to be asking ourselves, whose fault is it, the young offensive linemen or the running backs, that the running game is not as good as it needs to be to support Tua? I think it's the fault of the personnel department. I mean, those guys didn't just, you know, agree during – uh, night out at the bar one night, hey, let's go play offensive line for the Miami Dolphins. And not only let's do that, but if you played right tackle last year, let's put you at right guard now. And if you played right tackle at Notre Dame, let's put you at left guard. And if you played guard at Wisconsin, let's put you at center. Nobody, only the Dolphins came up with that. The Dolphins, the personnel department came up with that. I, I didn't. None of you guys did. They didn't. That was done by them. It, it, it doesn't make – it's not logical. And on top of that, let's have them be coached by our fourth offensive line coach in four years. Or in three right. years. I'll, I'll tell you also, Armando, this really irritates me about, about their offseason. If Liam Eikenberg was going to be a left guard and you're going to trade a third rounder next year to move up eight spots to get him, then why the heck don't you stick with either Eric Flowers – at left guard, or Solomon Kenley at left guard, and instead use that third rounder next year to trade up to be able to get Javante Williams to solve running back for you, and then you can still get Javon Holland. That's one of the things that really irritates me about this offseason. And again, I want to add that the Dolphins, I believe, have done a lot of good things. They're an ascending franchise. I don't want to be negative. I like the job Brian Flores. Why? Why don't you want to be negative? What, well, why don't, it's what, just it's things be like honest. This. It, it's, it's things like this that mystify me because I don't know why you would possibly trade next year's third rounder to move up eight spots to acquire someone who they now think is a left guard when they have a developmental player already at the position in Kinley, or they just could have kept Eric Flowers. I would much rather have used that carrot to finally solve running back, to, right, to move up to 34 or 35 in the draft before Denver did to get the North Carolina running back so that that problem is solved. Uh, so that probably bothers me as much as anything they've done this offseason. Now, I will be the first to tell you I'm wrong if Liam Eikenberg turns into a Pro Bowl right tackle someday. But it is puzzling and a little disturbing that they gave up on Eikenberg at right tackle, at least for now, three days into training camp, when why the heck do you need that sort of investment for another left guard? Guards should be able to be filled later in the draft. On the bright side, the defense... You know, I mean, they're, that's a good defense. I I got to tell you guys, I like that defense. Uh, am I wrong? You are not right. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you like about them, Daniel? Uh, I really like the secondary. Um, you know, uh, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard didn't play, um, and they didn't really skip a beat, um, you know, just having guys like Nick Needham out there. Um, you know, obviously they have Javon Holland, uh, you know, kind of working him with the first team, uh, defense at free safety. Um, but you also have a guy like Jason McCourty who can, you know, come in and play free safety. He can also play a little corner. Um, he has, he has, he has 
you know, his experience there. Um, and they, they have a steady rotation of guys on the defensive line, um, you know, whether that's Raekwon Davis or uh, Jack Siler or, um, you know, even, even though Jalen Phillips, you, they're playing as a, you know, outside linebacker, but he's going to be on the front. Um, you know, I think, you know, with this scheme, obviously it's a scheme that, that blitzes a lot. Um, so you need guys that can hold up in the in the back end, and they have that, um, you know. So I think again, this is you know I'll, I'll kind of reference the analytics, but um, you know the 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 trend now or the thought process is that you build through the secondary instead of the the defensive line because that's uh, there's more there's more volatility uh, in the, in terms of you know pressures and getting sacks and stuff like that. But if you can lock down uh, top flight receivers, I mean you're going to be good in any day. Um, so again, I, I think that uh, you know last year they they led the league, they just led the league in, in uh, take takeaways. Um, that's really hard to predict year to year. So I think that that could uh, that could come down a bit. Um, but if you know they can improve and stop in the run, um, and you know prevent teams from running on them, and you know get in advantageous advantageous situations where uh, you know they can blitz like they want to, and then let the guys in the defensive backfield do what they do. I think that. You'll see uh, another, you know, top top fifteen, top twelve performance from this defense. Barry, Jalen Phillips, go. I think he's going to be really good. He's got mature pass rush moves. He's a beast physically. He's a smart kid. He pays attention. He's diligent about film study. The only concern is, God forbid, if there's another concussion after two of them at UCLA. But I like the pick at eighteen. And I think he and Van Ginkle are going to be quality edge rushers along with Ogba. I think they're going to generate a pass rush. I like the defensive line rotation with Raekwon Davis and Wilkins and Seiler and Adam Butler, uh, or Zach Sealer, I should say. Uh, so you're five deep on your defensive line if you include Ogba as a defensive end in that rotation. So I like this defensive group. I am curious to see when the staff will finally make the move to Javon Holland as their starting free safety. We've seen McCourty with the first group on Saturday against Chicago and again today. It's inevitable. Obviously, Javon Holland will start at some point. I'd like to see that sooner rather than later. And also, uh, will your nickel corner play be good with Justin Coleman, who was a solid NFL player for Seattle uh, at one time? but struggled badly for Detroit last year. He has had a good camp. Uh, Nick Needham looks like he's probably going to be your backup boundary corner. He surpassed Noah with that. So I like this defense. I think this defense and Tua's improvement will be why they will be in the playoff race all year. Yeah, uh, Jalen Phillips, they are committed to have him as a starter. You mentioned how they're working in Javon Holland. They're not working in Jalen Phillips. Jalen Phillips is in. He's he's a you know he's a done deal. He's going to start for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, and and he should because there's really no better alternative on the roster. Brennan Scarlett's had some good moments. Vince Beagle's in a boot again. So you are relying on Jalen Phillips, Andrew Van Ginkle, and Emmanuel Ogba as your primary pass rushers. We uh, we mentioned McCourty and look, Jason McCourty is quality people. And he's good to have on the team. And my guess is he's going to be on this team if for nothing else that he is a leader, he's a veteran presence, and he knows what he's doing, and he knows how to be a professional. But I am absolutely with you. Uh, I want to see Javon Holland, and I want to see him immediately because get him ready to play because he is physical, 
He is around the ball. He He's a missile, and he's a ball magnet, and I just like the guy. What can I tell you? I just like him. Uh, am I wrong? Am I wrong? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, Daniel? Oh, I have not seen him as much in person as you guys, but from all accounts, yeah, he seems like he can he can real really be that uh, free safety that they need because again they blitz a lot they play a lot of single high um, cover one looks because you know they're they're blitzing a lot of guys and um, you know if you have a guy that can come down with a couple interceptions or kind of roam sideline to sideline I mean that's perfect for this defense. Uh, I I want to say that um, you know I'm just uh, very pleased that. The Miami Herald has gone out and done good work and good vetting and found Daniel Oyafusi, and I am hopeful that he is around for as long as I was around. And I also want to say that, Barry, it's been an honor and a privilege working with you, lo, these many years. You are the hardest working man in show business, bro, and you're a true pro's pro. And, you know, the coverage of the Miami Dolphins at the Miami Herald will slip not one iota with me gone. In fact, it probably is going to get better. And I just want to give you guys props. Armando, thank you. It's not it's certainly not going to get better. I'm going to miss you a lot. It's been a great joy working with you uh, over these couple of decades. And we both wish you happiness and joy and success in yes. your new endeavor. And we hope to have you as a guest of the show at some point in the next four years when the Dolphins are in the AFC Championship going up against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, you will be our special guest, God willing. That would be <laughs> a, a, that would be an amazing moment, That and that would mean that I would be on the hunt for Daniel's headset because I would have been terribly, terribly <laughs> wrong about that offensive line, and I'd be happy to, to be wrong because... Uh, you know, I love Miami and I want Miami to succeed. Um, parting, parting word, Daniel, before you take over this thing next week. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say I'm, I'm so pumped to be here. Um, I keep on saying I'm ready to hit the ground running. Um, I wish you could have stayed a little bit longer. Um, but you know, definitely, definitely going to take you up on that offer for any yeah, questions and any questions that I have and any guidance that I need. So I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, best of luck in your, uh, your next step. All right. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. As you know, we are with you every week. Well, they're going to be with you every week. We appreciate your listening. And you can catch me on the other side at outkick.com. Peace. <laughs>